Hello and welcome. I'm Enrique Serna, and this is the KCTS 9 Digital Studios Podcast. Now, you may have heard of someone or you know someone that decided to change careers. They didn't do it for money, but because they felt a calling to take on a difficult challenge. Rex Holbein is one of those people to do just that. He was a successful Seattle architect. He designed million-dollar homes and won a number of architectural awards for his work. But Rex decided to put that career aside to become an advocate for the homeless. He created a Facebook page called Homeless in Seattle, where he started telling the stories of the homeless. He wrote of how they got there, their needs, and their successes. It touched people who then wanted to know how they could help. And eventually, Rex created a nonprofit organization called Facing Homelessness, which has caught the attention of people around the country. And Rex Holbein joins me now to talk about his journey and the challenge of homelessness, not only here in Seattle, but throughout the country. Good to have you here. Hello. Good to be here, Henry Kay. Well, let's start off with uh, what has happened just recently as we talk. The mayor of Seattle, Ed Murray, and the King County Executive, Dow Constantine, have decided to declare a state of emergency over homelessness. When you heard that, were you surprised? I, I was not surprised. In fact, I was, I was, um, I was glad to hear it, and, uh, and I think it's the appropriate thing to do. We're, we're clearly in a state of emergency. We, I think, as citizens, we see that every day. We drive down our freeway and, and look to under all the bridges. We see tents lined up. Our, park, our parks are full. Um, you know, I think we're at a breaking point, and I think that the uh, state of emergency is a call to action. Um, it's a call to action to our government, for sure. One of the things that I'm interested in is, is it a call to action for our citizens? You know, when we all heard about this, um, did, we, did we right away put that into the category of, wow, more government, this is, we need this, we need more money, we need more attention uh, from the state and the federal government. But did we internalize this also um, as a call to action for us? And, uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good question because if we did not hear it personally when there is a state of crisis, of emergency, when will we, right? Would you rather that most people take it as kind of a personal call to action? Well, I think if we are, are truly interested in ending homelessness, um, we need everyone involved. We need each person living in a home. We need our government officials. We need our churches and our nonprofits all working in concert to address the issue. And I think uh, until we do that, we're not going to end homelessness. Should mention too that uh, we're not the only city or county that's done this. Los Angeles recently did this. Portland as yep. well. State of Hawaii. Oh, they did it as well too. So you know, and generally when we talk about state, <laughs> kind of a state of emergency, we're talking about a a natural disaster or some type of civil disorder. So right. yeah, I think that some people would say, hmm, "This is interesting. Why this?" Yeah. Well, you know, uh, let's take an earthquake for example. If we had an earthquake tomorrow, and uh, 3,772 people that were living in our local neighborhoods, which happens to be the number of people that are living unsheltered in King County right now. Um, if those 3,772 of people living in homes were suddenly without their homes and were living under bridges and in parks, you know, I think we would see it very much as an emergency. And I think this is one of the things that I think advocates are, are, um, are happy for is that we're, we're elevating this issue of homelessness to the correct state of, of uh, emergency, of crisis, that it is. 
It seems to be everywhere. Uh, I mean, here in Seattle, I mean, although if I travel someplace else, as I have over the past few months, I see it in other cities as well. But I also see it sometimes when I go to smaller towns yeah. in this state, you know, from central and eastern Washington. Yeah, I think um, I think there are a lot of towns and cities around America. I know locally where, for the longest time, people were, um, you know, uh, completely it was completely hidden from them. I think Bellevue, for instance, is a good example of that here in in, the, in our area, where we think of Bellevue as a as a very wealthy and um, uh, bustling town, and that we don't think of it being associated with homelessness. But in fact, there are a lot of homeless that are living in Bellevue and the outlying towns, Issaquah, uh, Renton, you know, Kirkland. So um, I think it's a, you know, it's a pervasive problem that we need to address. Let's, uh, let's talk about you and this journey that you have made. Um, how long ago now when you made the switch? Well, I, you know, I moved my office to the Fremont neighborhood, my architecture office, about, I think it was six years ago. And uh, shortly after, I started meeting a lot of folks that were homeless. And, um, you know, it was a slow transition. You know, as I, get, I got to meet people, I would invite them into my office for the use of the bathroom or maybe just to get a cup of coffee. Certainly when it was pouring rain and there were four guys down by the canal getting wet, I, I would say things like, you know, why don't you just come out and hang out in the, in the front room there? Um, but really what happened for me was that that I started to meet people that were challenging my negative stereotype against the homeless. Um, it wasn't sitting correctly, and uh, and it opened me. It opened me to how beautiful they were, and and from that, I decided to start this Facebook page, Homeless in Seattle, and I and I had about two years of uh, struggling with uh, balancing my architecture work and also this. Um, this advocacy that I was coming to for the homeless, and uh, and for a while I kidded myself that I could I could do both, and and uh, apparently, you know, as it would play out, you know, it, that wasn't possible for me. Our, I, uh, first time I met you actually was in your office in Fremont when you right. were still there, and on the wall you had photos of yeah. the homeless that you had that have come there. By the way, you're a good photographer. Thank you. And um, they're like these little portraits of them. Four they, by six. And, yeah, and they all just had their... Yeah. So many different looks, some smiling, some sad, some in between. Mm. Um, but it, it really was this montage of things that... that um, and I take it that that's what you saw. Yeah. Different types of yeah. stories and people and personalities. Yeah, I think if I was to use one word, it would be beauty. Right, you know, I was seeing the beauty in each of the people that I was meeting. They were showing me their beauty, and I and I think that's what compelled me to want to start to photograph. One of the one of the curious things about this wall of photographs that you're talking about is that it became, you know, almost a community um, uh, collage for people on the street. I would have a knock at the door, and somebody that I had met, somebody that I had photographed, whose picture was on the wall, was coming with two friends, maybe. And, and he would say to me, hey, would it be okay if I showed my friends uh, my picture on the wall? And, and this is actually, you know, it's important because I think most people that live in homes don't realize that the homeless feel invisible, that they don't feel seen, and that a photograph is proof 
right, that they are in fact here, that they, that they were on this planet Earth. Somebody noticed. And, um, and it was always this interesting play out of, um, of then this group of two or three or four uh, finding other people on the wall that were friends and, uh, and oh, I didn't know he was still alive or I, didn't, I haven't seen him for five years or, or whatever. Um, and invariably, the one or two new people that had come would turn to me and I would be over at my architecture desk um, drawing away and they would turn to me and say, hey, um, uh, uh, do, you, do you think you'll be okay if you took my photograph? You know, and and because uh, I kind of want to be on the wall, and so it, it started to become this, um, you know, this draw for for the community of people that were homeless, and that was a beautiful thing to me. You know, it felt um, felt meaningful. Let's talk about one person in particular, which I think seemed to have a huge hmm. impact on on your life and direction and all of this, and his name was Chiaka. Right. So Chiaka, I met. Uh, actually, one morning early, I was uh, riding my bike into the office on the Burke Gelman, and, and it was just getting light. And right out front of my office, on the grass, were parked two carts, and and uh, there were one cart was stuffed with art and supplies and paintings, and and um, and on the on the bottom of the other cart was a man sleeping under a blanket. And I, for whatever reason, got off my bike and I, I just tapped him on the shoulder and I said, Hey, you know. When you, when you get up, I work in the gray house there across, just right across the way. Um, you're welcome to come for a cup of tea. And, um, and he, you know, he didn't take the blanket off his head. He just, he just, um, he just said, okay. And, uh, and an hour later, he showed up and knocked on the door and introduced himself as Chiaka. And we became instant friends. He, he had this cup of tea with me. And, and probably the turning point in that first meeting was when he read to me a children's book story that he was writing. And um, about three quarters of the way through, I teared up and, and uh, he was crying, I was crying. And, and when, I, when he finished, I said, you know, why don't you just store all of your art supplies in the shed that I have outside? And, um, and then I fumbled around a little bit with my words and, and I said at that point, you know, in fact, why don't you just sleep there too? And, um, and that became the beginnings of this beautiful friendship. He, he slept in that shed for about four months. And, uh, um, but that was also a turning point for you because you were making a commitment. It was. I think, and I think even saying it, um, I could hear you know, my voice. I could hear that I was taking on something maybe larger than I, I probably understood. This was different than just letting people into the, to the office for bathroom use. Um, but true to so many of these type of instances, you know, when you think you're doing something for somebody else, you realize quickly that you're the one that's receiving more, you know. Um, he is this really brilliant artist and a genius of an intellect. And, um, and the next day he began to show me, you know, his paintings and, and, and share his frustrations too. And so we, we bonded over that uh, pretty quickly. You actually helped him uh, by creating a website, or not a website, but a Facebook page, yeah. and then helped him as he started to uh, kind of get on his feet and sell his, uh, his art. Yeah. Um, and as you did find out, he was tremendously talented. Was that the transition of starting this Homeless in Seattle page? It, 
It was the first time that I had actually started a Facebook page for somebody other than uh, my own, which one of my daughters had encouraged me, maybe just a few months before, to start. Dad, you need to be on Facebook. Or, I can't remember the exact words. But he, um, he was so frustrated that his art was unable to sell, and it was so inconceivable to me because it was beautiful. I just said to him, you know, why don't I start a Facebook page for you? We'll call it Chiaka, and we'll, I'll just photograph your art every day. He was very prolific. It just really cranked out these beautiful pieces, and and um, and when I did that, uh, I was just so surprised how how the community really uh, rallied, really uh, reached out to him with beautiful comments about his work, about him as a person, and um, and so we did that for about four months until uh, this this um, one morning when I come in and I go to his site and I read on there a comment from an 18-year-old woman who writes, oh my God, I think I just found our father. And then there's a message from her sister, you know, it is our dad. And then this whole string of messages from his family, his mother and his sisters, and, and they're all pleading with him to come home to Pittsburgh, that they love him. And um, as I'm reading that, you know, uh, Chaka just walks in that morning with all his paintings for me to photograph. And I tell him, I, you know, I have to read these, this to you. And when I do and I turn around, you know, he is streaming tears. He's a six foot three, six foot four black man uh, that is, you know, uh, just a powerful character, right? A powerful man. And uh, he was there just sobbing. Um, and he said to me when I looked at him, he said, I have to go home. And um, that, that night he spent the night at our house. And in the morning I took him to SeaTac. One of his sisters had bought a ticket for him. And I said goodbye to this man that had become really a good friend in a short amount of time. And, um, and that, like you said, that was a turning point. It, it really spawned then my interest um, to start another site that would be called Homeless in Seattle. And, and the sole purpose of that would be to do the same thing for others that Chaka's site had done for him, to tell his story, to show his beauty, um, his worth, you know, to... to um, to give dignity to him as a human being, as a man. And, um, and so I, I began to do the same thing. I began to take pictures and tell stories of people that were on the street just to show their beauty. And um, yeah. If, if people are on uh, Facebook, and uh, I'd encourage them to go and check this out because uh, the photographs are great, but you, you did a great job of telling the stories, but also um, really just, uh, you're not kind of begging or asking people to give you help, but you set up kind of the information of who these people are and what they might need. And and I guess actually really that's how all this this kind of motivated others yeah. to get involved. Yeah, it it's true. We we aren't asking anybody uh, to step forward. What we're what we're really trying to do is just put love into the equation. And um, you know, in the beginning. We were all wrestling with, what are we doing? You know, this like, just feels like a big group hug. You, you, you can't, you know, this is not, there's no, uh, there's no direction to this. But in fact, what started to happen is that people began to feel uh, the compassion and the empathy. And on their own, when they would hear needs that needed to be met, they would reach out and, and fill them. And we have this beautiful string of posting for five and a half years now, I think, with about a third of the posts asking for something, you know, putting it out there, really, not asking anybody specifically, but just saying, this person needs a tent. 
And in these um, five and a half years, every single request has been met, you know, the, often within the first 10 minutes. You know, it's just, uh, it's this magic empathy wishing well that is um, constantly at play on the site. How many followers do you have? We have now just over 21,000 that represent uh, 45 countries. And as I understand it, others have picked up on this kind of homeless in Seattle thing? It's true. We, we, um, uh, we have now about nine other cities that are um, uh, replicating what we're doing. And uh, it usually starts with a phone call, you know, and we'll, we'll get a call from somebody in a city and they'll say, hey, you know, I've been following you forever and I think I could do the same thing. So we wrote up a, a code of kindness and uh, we asked the, this person to read the code of kindness. In so the it sounds like your mission statement almost in a way? Or what? It, it is a little bit, but, it's, yeah. but it, it goes actually into, um, into more into how to treat each other. How, there's a lot of, there are a lot of issues with stepping into the world of, of, of providing service to those that are in need. I can give you like a quick example would be one of the things that happens is that when we reach out to help someone, we subconsciously set up a hierarchy, right? Like, because I am capable of helping you, I therefore am in a position uh, above you. And, um, and that permeates the discussion, the, the use of words, uh, actions, all of it, when in fact uh, the healthier um, relationship would be side by side. Right, like we are two human beings exchanging a human moment, and 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 I'm getting something from it too. I can't kid myself. It's not just me helping you. I'm, my empathy is growing. My compassion is growing. Um, so there's a lot of discussions about that, about how to treat each other. Um, and then the code, yes, I... and this and this code of kindness speaks to that. Yeah. And uh, and we also uh, graphically put a a uh, just say hello. Um, logo together for them uh, with their city name on it and and then we you know we um, we try to stick together as a family we we send out weekly emails discussing some of the issues that are at play we try to help promote other sites in short our goal it's a lofty one is to have a homeless in city in every city on the planet yeah. and we want we want specifically to have community address the issue of homelessness singularly with kindness Right. Um, the, and just say hello, by the way, is a, basically a slogan that has become up mm. um, where you're encouraging folks to acknowledge someone who's homeless. Right. And if you see somebody on the street, because I think it's a very natural tendency for people to feel either fear or discomfort, they turn away, but exactly. instead saying, hey, acknowledge. Yeah. Part of the problem with homelessness for all of us is that it's so overwhelming that we don't know what to do with it in the moment. And so we do just, as you said, we turn away, we, we walk by it. And what we're saying is, um, and part of the, the, the result of that for the homeless is that they feel invisible. They really feel unseen. And uh, as we talked about earlier with taking photographs, um, one thing we can all do, regardless of our abilities or our schedule, whatever, is that we can make eye contact, we can smile, we can just say hello. And, um, and the beauty of that, actually, is that it provides you a way to start simply. And you can just stay there if you'd like. That's all you have to ever do. Just say hello. Or maybe you've said hello to the same person 10 times now on the way to work. Uh, pretty soon, I guarantee you, you'll say, hey, 
by the way, what's your name? And pretty soon it'll be, hey, John, and uh, maybe a month down the road you'll be sharing your leftover lunch. Uh, and there it goes. You, you maybe, maybe that's all it'll be. Maybe you'll have found your best friend, right? But you won't know until you start. So you then went from being this architect, meeting these folks that are homeless, getting to know people like Chiaka, opening up your doors of your office, uh, realizing that, you know, <laughs> that part of, of your life every day was really sort of taking over and what you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, you ended up leaving the architecture behind, at least for now, and then you created uh, Facing Homelessness, which is a nonprofit. Right. Tell yeah. me about that and, and what it's about. Right. So uh, it's a 501c3 charity, and um, the uh, we have three people working now full time. And um, uh, you know, the basically we're we're messaging uh, to the community. We, as an organization, are not strictly providing some sort of service, although we do. We hand out a lot of socks and sleeping bags and backpacks, and and we provide a lot of um, connections to housing and different services. But our primary job is really to work with people that are in homes. We are, we are trying to message uh, this idea that, that people that are on the street are actually suffering right in front of us an unfolding crisis in their life, that we need to pay attention to it. And um, I think our, we do this by trying to move the conversation out of our head into our heart. So there is no shortage of, of statistics and graphs and charts, right, on homelessness. We, the paper is full of them and we hear and see about it on the news all the time. Um, but when that information stays in your head, really it doesn't motivate us to get up and do something. When that happens is when we have some personal experience, when it touches our heart and we in that moment give meaning to the intellectual understanding. It activates uh, that understanding that we have about homelessness intellectually. So we need both. And our organization is specifically targeting this emotional side of the equation. Um, we have a, a slogan that we say in the office that basically says, we all function better when we feel loved. And so we don't need to judge this person. We don't have to ask, why are you here? You look capable of working. You know, any f number of other judgment comments that flood into our brains. We're saying, we never know the whole story, we never will. Therefore, we're missing potentially the parts that would explain it to us. So we're not gonna to touch that. All we're gonna do is, is make that person feel that we love them, that, that we are connected, they are part of our community. And in that, we know that they will function better. Who are the homeless? Well, the homeless, uh, the homeless, uh, is everybody, right? Um, it is us in, in that sense. We, um, we could, I could be out of work tomorrow uh, through a set of circumstances, not my fault or perhaps through my fault, either way, but I could be there. And, and I, think, um, I think deep down we know that. We all know that and I think it's the burden we carry. Um, scary. It is. One of the things that I think, uh, so to answer your question, I, th I think it can be anybody. Right, um, but I think that um, that the issue is that often we think that this issue of homelessness involves fixing the homeless, like something was wrong with them, so we're going to go in and fix it. And 
the truth is, if there is any fixing to be done, it's us, right? Like, first of all, like how crazy is it that we can walk past people that are suffering in front of us and do nothing? That's, you could make an argument that there's some mental health issues there, that I have created a life for myself that I can walk past someone that is visibly suffering in front of me and be unaffected by it. That's, that's a problem that we have and we need to address that. We need to um, be a little more self-aware in this issue. When we talk about the people that are homeless, I mean, the fact is, is that um, they come from so many different backgrounds. Yeah. And the truth is, not everybody really wants to be homeless. It can be various circumstances that are beyond control. Yeah. I would, I would go further and say that nobody chooses to be homeless. Um, you know, I think that every single person that you see or meet on the street, you can know that they are there for a profound reason. They didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to choose suffering over comfort, right? I'm going to choose the elements outside versus the comfort and warmth of a home. Um, you do meet from time to time uh, a person, maybe, maybe a young person that's 25, let's say, that would, that would tell you, no, I'm choosing to be homeless. And you say, cool, that's great. So how's it going? Oh, it's going great. And they might go on and on about it. And then somewhere in the conversation, you might ask, so do you ever get to chat with your folks? And you'll hear uh, some form of, well, no, I haven't, I don't talk to my folks anymore. I left when I was 15. My dad beat me regularly. Right? So there was a choice to leave. But I think it's a choice of limited options. Right? There was not a choice really to stay home and, and continue to be beat. So when we, when we look at decisions that people make, we have to also look at the available uh, choices that are there for them. And uh, nobody that is loved and hugged and kissed and told they're beautiful growing up, you know, uh, I, at least, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've never met that person that would leave that environment of love and connection. Um, but we're also talking about, in this case, abuse. But we're talking about mental illness. Right. We're talking about uh, drug and alcohol um, issues. Substance abuse. Substance abuse. Um, trauma. Trauma. Yeah. Military folks that have gone through some tough things. Yeah, PTSD is a big one. Um, I think it's fair to say that every person on the street is suffering some form of trauma. And, uh, and this is also something that I think is important for us that have the comfort of being in a home and also the good fortune of being loved, um, of good fortune of being able to sleep a good night, is that when we interact with people that are on the street, we have to remember that they are living on the survival line, that their, uh, their lives um, are, are stressed, and that maybe they're only seeing an hour ahead of themselves at any given moment because they're trying to take care of the burning fire that's their life in that moment. And um, I would say that uh, when we do reach out to the homeless, we need to know that we're reaching into a gray area and you might not always get the response that you wanted. Maybe you went to, to, the, to Starbucks and bought them a cup of coffee and you came back and they gave it to you and they're, they're pissed off because you didn't bring cream and sugar and they read you the riot act. And you, you want to say, ungrateful, right? But we have to remember that, that um, it's a different set of rules. They're, they're trying to survive, and we need to, we need to find our, our, um, 
understanding and our, and our compassion for those moments. What have you noticed, uh, I guess, about those that are maybe older and then a, a growing number of young people now that are homeless? Right. A and why? Yeah. I don't know if I know the answer to that. What, what I have noticed, uh, a couple things I can say is that um, the longer you stay in homelessness, the more difficult it is to get out, first of all. So there are plenty of people I know that have been chronically homeless, lived 20 years, for instance, at Gasworks Park. Um, moving indoors is a trauma itself after you've been outside, you know, chronically homeless, uh, learning your survival skills on, on the street. Um, I think that young people that have come to homelessness, um, it's hard to say, but I think that uh, there, is, there is often a sense of family for them. They've come from places uh, often, this is not for everybody, but often uh, from a, maybe a, a broken home or, a, or foster, uh, the foster care system. It's remarkable to me how many people I meet that are from the foster care system. Um, but that I've heard more than once people say, well, I'm on the street because I, I'm loved more here than I was at home, right? So, so the, the danger in that, of course, is that the longer you stay homeless, the greater chance that you'll remain chronically homeless. And um, so I, um, yeah, I think um, it's hard to answer that question because each person really is uniquely on their own journey uh, through homelessness. Are you trying to solve the problem of homelessness? Well, the answer to that ultimately is yes. Do I want homelessness to end? Is, would that be a long-range plan? Absolutely. Is it part of our mission? No. We, we really are just wanting to activate community, believing that um, within the community lies uh, yet-discovered solutions when we bring all of the minds and hearts and compassion of a community, you know, that's a large resource. Not just financial, not just how we vote, uh, not in all the obvious, like bringing sleeping bags, or, but in the, in the richness of creativity, you know, creative compassion of solving this issue. And, and, I, and I believe strongly that if we have an active community that's fully uh, engaged in this, in this conversation, that ideas that we have even yet to begin to talk about are there and will come forward. So, yeah, I'm very optimistic, actually. Your life has changed. I mean, let's be realistic here. You make a pretty good living before. You know, you're winning awards and designing homes, and I know you loved being an architect. I, and yeah, I'm an architectural geek. <laughs> <laughs> Our eldest daughter is an architect now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. Wor working here in the city at Grand Baba. And, yeah. Uh, so keeping the tradition going. Yeah. Yeah. But deciding to like leave that behind hmm. from a financial standpoint and those comforts of life and all of a sudden, hey honey, I'm <laughs> going to leave this and go do this. Yeah. How did that, that conversation happen? and but yeah. with your wife, the family, the whole bit. Yeah. Well, I think everyone around me was asking more questions than I was, to be honest. Um, I would come home, you know, like I, you and I have talked, I, I was making a, a good living as an architect and, and enjoying it, in love with it. When I began to do uh, that, this advocacy, if you want to call it that, for the homeless, 
my income started to drop because I wasn't getting work done because my office was full of people. And things that were going on in my office were fundamentally more important now with human beings than what I was drawing on paper, basically is what it was. And uh, I had really two years where I, I went to our family making my income less than poverty. And I would come home at the end of that, near the end of that two-year period, and, I, and my wife would say, what are you doing? <laughs> and, I would say, and I would say, I don't know. <laughs> and, uh, and I don't remember exactly when it was, but I do remember with Cindy saying, this con having this conversation when she and I both came to the realization that I needed to make a decision, that I need to either put the homeless advocacy back in the box uh, or I needed to quit architecture and start a nonprofit. But either or, she, I'm lucky to be in love with my wife of 31 years married, and she's 100%, you know, she saw what was happening for me, how it was changing me uh, personally, uh, how fulfilled I was feeling with this new direction. And so she was 100% supportive. She was less supportive of this in-between phase because it wasn't working. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and I think, you know, my daughters, uh, I think everybody that knows me um, could see that, that the decision had already been made, you know, that this was something I, I just needed to do. Um, How do you feel about that? How do you feel yeah. about what you're doing now? I mean, in many ways, it's, it's this kind of idealistic thing that you're doing, but it's yeah. a good change. Well, you know, I, I'm one of these very blessed people that had this full architectural career with nothing but beautiful clients. Like I, I, I really had one beautiful client after the other that treated me so nicely. Um, but when I started to do this, I think the most profound thing that happened to me was I was meeting a constant stream of unbelievably kind people that were coming into my office. Um, not just people that were on the street that were showing their kindness because they were so grateful for the little things I was doing. I mean, I can't blow out a, I, let's, I can't make this into something it wasn't. I was doing very minimal things, letting people use my bathroom, making coffee for them. This is, I wasn't uh, running a shelter, you know, even though we did spend nights there uh, uh, sleeping with folks that were homeless. But, but really, it was fairly simple, but the kindness and the gratitude that came back was, uh, floored me. And then the people that began to come to the office uh, through the Homeless in Seattle site um, that were there to donate. One, just a constant stream of kindness, and, and I've said this before, that it, it was kindness that didn't come in the door trying to control the outcome of a donation or um, expect anything at all other than just kindness for kindness sake. And that, that changed me. You know, I, it enriched me in a way that still is fueling me. It's still this, this beautiful thing. Um, so, yeah. Along the way here, um, I'm sure there are days when things are tough, you know, because you're running a nonprofit. And, uh, and it's also dealing with a, a very tough social issue. And you're dealing with folks that at times uh, are having real issues on a daily basis. But what's been, I guess, one thing that has stood out as a, as a tremendous success or uh, that positive moment? That's a, that's a really tough question because I see it, uh, it's been one positive moment after the other. Right. Um, 
Um, I think the fact that uh, for me personally, when I started to tell friends that I was going to start a nonprofit, um, a lot of people said to me, you know, you're, you're crazy. You're leaving an architectural practice that is really successful and, and, and providing for you and is rewarding for you. Um, you are going to step into a world where you're going to have to beg for money. Um, you're going to have to fight and scratch for um, keeping what it is that you're doing afloat. And I think, I think what has been beautiful to me is that I haven't had to experience any of that. Um, we have, we've had a lot of beautiful people step forward and, and at the right moments when we needed it. Um, I can tell you a quick story. There was a there was this time when, near the end of this two years when I was really making almost no money and my wife was starting to freak out and I was coming to grips with what was I going to do, a woman by the name of Joanne Conger showed up out of nowhere who had been following the site and said, I'm going to start, I can tell, you, I can tell you're in trouble. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how she could tell, she just knew. And she said, I'm going to start a GoFundMe site for you. And um, she's going to run it for the month of December. And she said, I'm going to raise $30,000 for you. And I said, yeah, right. And, and so she set it up. She asked me to just put it on the Homeless in Seattle site a few times and that she would manage the GoFundMe site. And she raised, I think, $32,000 for me. And it, it actually saved uh, really the effort because I think you know, financially we were, we were getting there to a point of like, something's got to happen real fast. And uh, we've had those moments show up time and time again at uh, right at the right time. And um, so I think I'm, if you say, what are the most beautiful, proud moments? Or I think it's how this community has embraced what we're doing um, at each step. And it's allowed me to move forward without worry. You know, um, people have just showed up when they needed to. And... Um, I think part, I will say, part of it is one of the other things that we've made a, a cornerstone of what we're doing is that we purposefully are not attaching ourselves to any political message. Uh, not that that's bad, but, uh, or any religious message. Not that that's bad, but that we've identified early on that when you do that, you naturally, without intent, you divide. You have people that believe in that political message, and then you have people that don't believe in that political message. You have people that believe in that religious message and you have people that don't. And what we've said from the beginning is we want this to appeal to everyone. And so we said we're just going to make it about love. Um, that's, that's something that if you ask a hundred people on the street, are you for love? <laughs> you know, every single one of them will say yes. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's, it's allowed us to occupy a special place in this conversation also about homelessness by focusing on, on that alone. Where do you see yourself in this conversation about homelessness in this city and, and in this county? Which is, you know, we've had these committees to end homelessness mm. and in 10 years, and obviously that didn't happen. So the conversation goes on. Now this declaration yeah. of the state of emergency. Where, where I see uh, myself and the nonprofit is that to us, to me, the, the missing link is community. And... Um, we are not going to end this issue of homelessness unless the community is involved. And, and primarily, not by intent of government or, or anybody, really, I think the community has, um, has been left behind um, just because. And uh, what I experienced running the Homeless in Seattle site 
is that the community is this giant empathy reservoir. It's just sitting there waiting for us to tap into it and uh, actually quite honestly begging us to tap into it. One of the things that I've heard more than anything said to me is people walking into my office and saying, thank you for showing us a way to help. You know, people want to help. They just need to know how and, and what is a way that they can believe in and get behind. And my hope for where we sit and where, where we can do the most uh, good is by activating the community and getting everyone to find their own, um, their own place. Let's talk about more about community. Um, this summer uh, in Ballard, I live in the Ballard area, there was a uh, community gathering, gathering, a forum, which I was the moderator of, large community turnout, concerned about the fact that the city was looking at a particular location um, in Ballard to have a, to set up a tent city. Right. And uh, there was much made of like we're not getting enough uh, information or opportunity or voices not being heard, not in my backyard kind of uh, reaction mm -hmm. to many of those. I know that you went to some of these types of things. Right. How do you see that and what's the challenge, I guess, in helping um, get that message across other than the city just saying, hey, it's our land, we're going to do it? Right. Well, clearly that doesn't work, right, because it, it polarizes. And, um, and I think the city would say this, and so this is not to bash the city, but the city, the city could have taken some steps that would have helped mitigate that early on. And, and they admit that. And, and I've gotten to know a lot of the folks that work tirelessly and compassionately on this issue. Um, so it's not for a lack of, you know, beautiful people, intelligent people, compassionate people working for the city. Um, I would say that um, two things come right to mind. One is that we, we need to not just come to the, to the community when an issue arises, but we need, to, um, we need to be proactive. We need to begin educating the city, uh, meaning not the government, but the actual citizens that live in the city, about what homelessness is. Um, in, ar in architecture, there's an analogy for me is that one of the things that you have to do when you're hired as an architect is to begin a little bit from the beginning to de actually to define what architecture is. Because as a culture, we're relatively um, uneducated about the design of buildings, what, what um, architectural vocabulary really is, and discussion about materials and textures and mass and form. Well, we're missing that in our discussion about homelessness, too. We are really unaware of what this issue is. And I think if we spent more time uh, bringing community into the equation early on, before something flares up, they would come to that conversation a lot more understanding that this is, um, this is not about an issue. This is about a person. And when you make it about a person, you begin to, to uh, prioritize correctly. Right? So... Um, and the second thing is that we, um, um, we need to have a better relationship between our communities, our government, our churches. We need to work together, our nonprofits, um, for the solution because it really is it's a, it's a tidal wave of, a, of an issue and it's going to take all of us to do that. Um, so. But realistically, can we solve homelessness? Well, the answer is yes, it is. We can but not with the way we're doing it now. We, we need community. Um, this is one way that I'd like to explain it. Um, think of it as a line, this level line. And 
on this line, there are 7 billion places to come and dock as a human being. In other words, there is place for every single person to get involved. And what we ask people when they come to volunteer for us, um, we ask them two questions. We say, what are you passionate about in this issue? It might be youth, it might be, you know, uh, vets, it might uh, everybody, somebody with dogs, right? What are you passionate about? And also, what are you good at? And we want you to listen to the two answers that you bring and find within those answers some place for you to get involved. Because if you come to our office and say, I want to volunteer, and we put you in charge of the sock shelf, you'll do it, but for how long? What we're interested in is finding something that you'll do for the rest of your life. And this is the beautiful part about it, is in this line of 7 billion people working to end homelessness, to seeing each other, right, to addressing issues of poverty and putting people above material things, um, there is no value judgment. So if what you can do is just say hello, that is of equal importance compared to someone who has just brought someone that's homeless into their home. Because um, what's, not, what's important is that you're doing something. It's not important what you're doing because we have enough people and we all have different desires to do, to do something. I am taking photographs, right? There are a lot of people that just would not take photographs, but I can take photographs and that makes me happy. And I think uh, if we're all doing what makes us uh, feel fulfilled and happy that we're part of this community, um, yes, we'll end homelessness because there'll, there'll be someone for everything that is in need. Is it about having a will? then to do this, to act? I would say, uh, you could say that, but I think it has more to do with uh, being open to it. Having an event, putting yourself in a place where you have an experience that it, you get your aha moment. Um, I know that's what happened to me, right? I, I think every person wakes up in the morning and believes they're a compassionate, empathetic human being. Um, they go out in the world and they, and they act accordingly. But I lived uh, 57 years now in this city, acting compassionately, believing I'm a good person. And until I met really the folks along the canal in Fremont, I had no concept about the suffering that people were ha going through living homeless in our city. So I, I, think it's, I think it's really just making all of us aware and providing the opportunities to get involved um, to, uh, to access our own empathy and find a way to make use of it. One final thing. Chiaka, do you stay in touch with him at all? Do you know how he's doing? He, I, the last I talked to him was about a half a year ago. I have talked to his daughter a number of times uh, in between. Um, he still suffers with, uh, one of the things we didn't talk about early on is that he suffers with um, anger management, mental health issues such as bipolar, uh, severe depression. So his geniusness is really flirting with the edge of a lot of mental health issues too. So he, he comes and goes in my life. Um, my hope, actually, is to go visit him in Pittsburgh and um, try to reconnect because each time we talk, we do all this dreaming. He wants to make a movie with me. And, you know, he's, he's just, he's a beautiful person and, and there's a lot more there, I'm, I'm, I'm believing. Homeless in Seattle, if you go to the Facebook page, if you go to Facebook and just type that in and you can find out more information about uh, Homeless in Seattle and um, the people that, uh, uh, that Rex meets daily and has gotten to know, and also that community that has come together to say, how, how can I help? 
and maybe that's uh, something you uh, folks can look at and say, hey, I think I can contribute to this as well. Uh, and facinghomelessness.org is, um, we'll, we'll send you a link, we'll provide you a link online at kcts9.org for more information about homeless in Seattle. Just uh, say hello and also facing homelessness and more about Rex and everything that he's doing. Thank you for taking your time. Uh, this is a big issue, but uh, we'll see how this how this plays out, particularly as the city and the county decides that it's going to uh, pay uh, some serious attention to this. And I imagine that uh, you'll be in the midst of all of that. Thank you. Thank all you right. for having me on. Anyway. Oh, my pleasure, Rex Holbein. Thanks a lot. And you've been listening to the KCTS 9 Digital Studios podcast. I'm Enrique Cerna, and we'll talk more next time.